I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Has Jesus ever made you stumble? Yes, think. Has Jesus ever made you stumble? Because in Romans chapter 9, Paul weaves God's Old Testament words together from Isaiah, and he writes in Romans, God speaking, I lay in Zion, that's God's kingdom, within. I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And Paul says, the one who trusts in him, who Paul tells us is Jesus, will never be put to shame. And he writes this because the prophet Isaiah had recorded God's words uh, long before, saying, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, precious cornerstone, like the beginning and the end, a, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Remember that line. Not act hastily because this whole walk is a process. Isaiah said that, having previously written, that the Lord of hosts will be as a sanctuary. It's kingdoms within. But also a stone. That's a foundation stone of stumbling. And a rock, these are rock of salvation, Psalms tells us. A rock of offense. To, to the houses, what is it? To both the houses of Israel. And many among them shall stumble, they shall fall and be broken. And so Paul picks up on this and he writes to the Corinthians, for no one, writes Paul, can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation, Psalm 95, 1, whose kingdom is within. So all that to say, uh, What's it mean to stumble over and to be broken by the rock of our salvation? Paul, Paul speaks to this. He tells us what's on his mind here. He's, because his heart's going out toward his own people. And he says, the Israelites are zealous for God. It's a good thing. They're zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on Knowledge, Bible knowledge, understanding it all. And so since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and, and sought to establish their own. And so listen up, because this is what we all do. This is what we do. And that's what we're talking about today. They sought to establish their own type of righteousness, like through various doctrines and thoughts and beliefs and feelings. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They didn't know it from the Bible and they had their own thing going. So even though they're zealous, they didn't submit to the right one. So you and I, we're vulnerable to the same thing. So we need to make sure we're practicing, because we talk about practicing righteousness, practicing the right righteousness, the one that makes us holy rather than holier than thou. Because, well, you pick your religion, and I think that's a, that's a big part of... Uh, most every religion, becoming holier than thou. That's not what the Lord wants for us. For by one sacrifice, and I've 
going to continue quoting this. I don't know for how many weeks, but I just, lo- I just want us to really, remember Noah said last Sunday, uh, you know, he, about our, our mind must be renewed, uh, metamorphos. And so he said that makes our head the, the cocoon. <laughs> I just love that idea. So we got to get this through our cocoon, our thick cocoon. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever, well, those who are being made holy. Two different things. Uh, we, last time I was up, we discussed life's great joy, one of life's great joys, uh, when if you have children and they mature and all of a sudden a mother or father and a daughter or son go above and beyond being just parent and child, they're always instilled that, but they become friends. And God calls us friend. And, and I said to say that the more we practice the right righteousness, the more intimately we will naturally walk with our father And then, it's a process, but more and more, like a mature child friend, our appreciation deepens for what happened when we couldn't comprehend it. You know, and that's just precious when your kids get old enough to go, oh, I get it now. (laughs) I get it now. That's what God wants. He wants those moments where we go, oh, I get it now. So, so here it is, to be born of God. That's a term that's used in Scripture, to be born of God. I'm going to read it a bit. Also, be born again, same thing. That's a beginning. In that sense, you're either a child of God or you're not. You're born again or you're not. Whereas being made holy is a process. That's a journey because friendship grows and changes and matures. So, listen up now, as a believer... You just cannot become more of God's child, but you can become, you and I, a much better friend, a much better friend. Now, says John, if, if you know that he is righteous, then you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness, that, that one, that righteousness, those who are being made holy, has been born of him, has been born again, or why are they practicing to be like him, and why is he enabling them? It starts with that made perfect by one sacrifice. Because we're talking about practice. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, and then he kind of defines it. He can't just keep on sinning, you know, without regard, just callously. And so he says, by this it is evident who are the children of God who've been born again. Uh, and who are the children of the devil who have not been born again? Whoever does not practice righteous, true righteousness is not of God, is not born of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. Because hmm. we're talking about practice. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. For by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. Whoever makes a practice of sinning then is still an unreborn child of the devil. Because we're talking about practice. My little children, John writes, I'm writing these things to you so that you who are being made holy may not sin. Because we're talking about practice. But if anyone does sin, we who are being made holy, have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Because now we're talking about our Savior. 
Do you know that scripture says that truth fails? It does. I'm going to show it to you. It says truth fails under certain circumstances, under certain conditions. And I want to build up to it here. Because first we have to understand that we're all in the same boat when it comes to being wired to see things the way we want. Even when it's wrong. And there's a name for it. It's called confirmation bias. And we all struggle with it to one degree or another. Confirmation bias, that is the tendency to see everything as confirmation of our existing beliefs. Kind of ignore the things that contradict and we just really look at the things that you know, we sense are confirming. But if you and I, if we enter the, the word of truth now to support a feeling or a desire or an agenda, rather than just to seek his face, to seek the truth, to examine ourselves, I guarantee we will find the proof we need to believe as we want. That's really dangerous. And so let's, let's get that through our thick cocoon. Let's read it together. We'll find the proof we need to believe as we want, which is why it's so important to seek, ask, knock, examine ourselves in the light of his word, because that blinds us. It just absolutely blinds us to the light of truth and, and makes us a prey for false teachers. Because as Isaiah tells us, uh, what happens when that happens no one then calls for justice, literally righteousness. No one calls for righteousness. Nor does any plead for truth because they think they already have it. Why are you pleading for it? Because they trust in empty words. And so they don't know that they need to plead for more truth. See, and when that happens to us, he says, we look for light, but there's darkness. For brightness. But we walk in blackness. For truth in that situation is fallen in the street. And equity, which literally right here means right things and right things, can't get in, cannot enter like our heart or our head. So there it is. So truth fails. So truth fails. And under those circumstances, truth fails. And he who, and this is really scary, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Unless and until that person stands on the rock and walks in the light and asks God, show me truth. Because truth fails when it's mishandled. And it's mishandled whenever we just pick and choose, which is really popular, pick and choose what we want to read and believe and receive and live by, because we're talking about practice. And so many, uh, it's just incredible, so many so willfully impose their own biased ways on God's word. I work so hard and I pray so much for God to help me see uh, my uh, assumptions, things that I just think are true. That I think, I, I, I know they're in the word. You ever do that? You know something's in the word, you go to look it up, you realize it's not in the Bible? Oh, I, I see you have. Okay, you're right with me on that. Well, Paul recognized that his people are zealous for God, but their zeal's not based on Bible knowledge. It's sincere. It's passionate. Got to give them that, but mishandled, misdirected, all the way to putting the Savior on a cross. Paul's quoting Proverbs 19, where it says, it is not good to have zeal without knowledge. 
nor to be hasty. Remember I said, remember that line? If you put your trust in him, you won't act hastily. Nor to be hasty and miss the way, the right way. You'll find your own way. But you see, a man's own folly ruins his life. Yet his heart rages against the Lord. Sound familiar? You know, that's what we do, right? We just kind of live it our way, and then we get mad at God for not meeting our demands. You ever hear this? Is, of course you have. This is just the classic. Uh, it doesn't matter what someone believes as long as they are sincere. You know, well, let's just put that to bed because I beg to differ. I was cruising through Bellingham. This is years ago, and it was late at night, and I was tired, and it was dark. And I am going through Bellingham, down, down the city streets. That's the actual picture of the Bellingham streets. There was no cars, and I'm just going. And as I go through an intersection, I look up and notice the stoplights have been hung backward. And I thought to myself, that's weird. <laughs> as I shot through the second intersection, same thing. I thought, that's dangerous. And I, said, I mean, these are my thoughts. That's dangerous. Somebody is really stupid. <laughs> At the third intersection, I mean, it took me three. <laughs> if, if I ever wanted to uh, make a case that I'm an idiot, this is it. The third intersection, it's like, oh my goodness. And right there, it hit me. The truth, not the truck. It hit me. <laughs> I'm stupid. It's a one-way street. And I am just, I slammed on my brakes and just skidded into the intersection. Just heart pounding. It's like, well, I was fine just before that. I'm fine shooting through the first two. <laughs> Dumb idiots of Bellingham. Oh, my goodness. Don't know how to hang stoplights. We can sincerely miss the way with deadly consequences. Sincerity has nothing to do with it. It's got to be combined with knowledge, and knowledge comes through his word by his spirit as he puts it in. Until I recognized my own way for what it was that I was very content with, I could only conclude that Bellingham signal light guys are dumb. That was, I mean, that's all I could, that's all I could do. But once I saw the light, you know, behind the lights, I owned my own mistake. And I turned around so fast. You know, repent just means turn around. I repented so fast, I left skid marks. Literally, I left skid marks in the intersection. Uh, if on the way, if after like the before the first one, going to the second one, if someone had seen me and just thrown a rock at my windshield, that would have been a kindness. Really? Boy, take that out of context and you go, hey, a guy threw a rock at my windshield while I was driving and it was really nice of him. Hard to figure that out. Hard to figure out why Jesus uh, making a stumble is good. But that would have been a kindness and that's what Jesus does. Our rock becomes a roadblock. So we'll hopefully stop and take stock so that we can have a chance to see Assess, examine. If we're heading toward the light, you know, or driving in the dark with our blinders on. Proverbs says, he who trusts in himself is a fool. That's, well, that's me. That's, that's me through those first two intersections, the crossroads, if you will. But he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. That's me skidding to a stop in the third and turning around. 
God gave his word first to his children, the Israelites, and it did not require them to earn salvation. The opposite. It required them to trust his mercy so that their obedience would flow from joyful gratitude. But they're a lot like us, you know, human. So they ended up using his word to quantify uh, their virtue, like, like we all can so easily do. More than once, in fact, Moses had to remind them. It is not, you see, there's three different times in different words this happens. It is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. And yet, born three times, they continued to resist this righteousness through faith that was setting up a picture that Christ would fulfill. And Paul says they sought to establish their own. But did you know, now, New Testament, Book of Titus, did you know that we, Christians, are given pretty much the very same warning in the New Testament about Christianity because we need it? Paul writes, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth, for by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever. And, and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us who are being made holy. Poured out generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Now, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, Paul says. So, okay, I better. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God, by one sacrifice made perfect forever, may be, being made holy, careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Devoting ourselves to doing what is good is a response always to God's love and mercy, not a means to get it. It'll never, it, it, it's the opposite. You try to earn it, you're going backwards. Doing good, which we must do. Be careful to do. Must, doing good must be rooted in receiving grace as an expression. Because the more, the more of that, the more that grace, that love that we receive on his terms, the more our love can't help but grow until our obedience becomes a byproduct of our gratitude. And we don't even think about a checklist anymore. Oh, I did, I prayed, and I did that, and did that. I hope God's happy. No, we become the mature child friend. I saw a t-shirt. I saw a t-shirt. I don't know. I think this is funny. You might not. It says, Jesus loves you. And then in that small writing underneath, it says, then again, he loves everybody. <laughs> now, I just thought, I just thought that was really funny. And I thought, why do I think that's funny? You know, what, what, what's the joke? You know, he loves you. Then again, he loves you. I mean, because you could say, and don't forget, he loves everyone. It's like, but why is that funny? And oh, because it's a sinful tendency of ours. It play, and this humor plays off this sinful tendency to feel less valuable. If we don't stand out from, if I don't stand out from you, I have less value. Boom, if we don't stand out from everyone, somehow I got to stand out. You know, that's why there's all the things we do to stand out. You don't need a list. But we're tempted. It's so tempting then 
to compare ourselves, not just to anyone. No, I'm going to be very careful how I word this. It tempts us to compare ourselves to those we feel free, as believers, that we wrongly, sinfully know, feel free to judge as being beneath us. Because as believers, there's a lot of people we judge as, you know, eh, we feel free to judge them. They're beneath us. Oh, I know he says don't judge anyone. Yeah. But then, I mean, come on, Hitler. We judge Hitler, right? Right? We judge Hitler, right, Jesus? Oh, that's your, that's, he's yours too? You, you'll take care of that judgment? Okay. See, it's very dangerous when it comes to righteousness to judge anyone in order to, but see, this is what we do to establish our own righteousness. So I'm just going to, a little test here, you nine point somethings. For, on a scale of zero to ten, how righteous are you? Zero to ten, how righteous are you? You don't say it out loud. I ask uh, quite a few people, just I've been building up to this message, just give yourself a number, zero to ten, how righteous are you? We're a fairly humble church. So I think most people say, you know, uh, uh, two, I don't know, one, two, three, you know, somewhere in there. Yeah. Maybe a four. Now Paul's a ten. <laughs> See, and I know, you know, I know what he's thinking. He's thinking he's covered by Christ's righteousness. <laughs> don't read ahead. <laughs> uh, so here's the thing. What if the devil's a zero? I mean, cause, right? The devil's got to be a zero. And Hitler's a one or a two. Wait, Hitler's a one or Well, yeah, I mean, he's, he's Hitler, but he's not the devil. Okay? So he's got to be like a one or a two. Yeah, hmm, Hitler's a one or a two. I guess I'm like a five or a six then. Right? So, yeah, well, hold on. Because, see, I think if Hitler's, if Hitler's a one or a two, then drug pushers, especially ones who sell to, to kids, they got to be like a three or four. I mean, they're drug pushers, but they're not Hitler. Okay? Oh, and then how about kind-hearted, kind-hearted atheists that do good? How about half-hearted Christians? They all need a number. They need a number. And I'm not going to keep going, but you can see, right, how eventually and fairly easily we get faithful believers up to a nine point something. Right? Oh, no, maybe an eight. Maybe an eight. Maybe not. Yeah, but if you tithe and attend church and pray and read scripture regularly and serve in ministry, well, yeah, then maybe a nine point seven. Or something. Nine point something. And that right there is why it is so dangerous to drive this direction in the dark. Establishing our own by judging others. Because even when we're trying to be humble, you can't help but see yourself at the top of that ladder, right? It's like, okay, well, if Hitler's there, <laughs> then uh, drug pushers are there. And atheists, well, I, I mean, come on. Truth is, I don't know, Hitler probably is a one or a two. I don't know, that's not my business. But he probably is. You may well be a nine point something. I don't doubt that. The problem we have is that the scale isn't zero to 10. It's zero to infinity. And all of a sudden, there's just not a whole lot of difference between a one and a nine point something. But that's God's perspective, looking down that ladder. Until we submit our way of establishing righteousness to our Father's way, which is Jesus, who is the way, we'll define our own righteousness, whether we're aware of it or not. We'll define it in ways 
that wind up deceiving us rather than driving us to our knees. Because if you're a nine point something and you think that scales one to 10 or zero to 10, what's the big deal? Not much to pray for, not much to seek. Got to get it through that thick cocoon. We are profoundly lovable, but completely unacceptable. That is such a truth. That is, I'm not going to take a toddler and put him in a semi-truck and say, drive. Completely unacceptable, totally lovable. That's us. Let's read that together. We're profoundly lovable, but completely unacceptable. Bump. Let's just let that be our one bump today. Let that be the bump. And this is why people don't like God's righteousness, because it's perfect. <laughs> God's perfect righteousness serves to reveal our need for a Savior. And then his ongoing work in my life to make me more holy and not more holier than thou. And that's how and why we stumble over Christ. We don't like that. Jesus asked the crowd, asked the people, uh, what's the meaning of that, that which is written, you know, the stone the, that's rejected, that the builders rejected has become the capstone. And then he adds to that. You know, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. But he on whom it falls will be crushed. And there's an old Jewish proverb that I really like. It says this, if a stone falls on a pot, woe to the pot. But if a pot falls on a stone, woe to the pot. <laughs> because in either case, woe to the pot. And the thinking is very simple. When it's a stone versus a pot, the stone's going to win every time. And Paul reminds us, we're jars of clay, right? God made his light, not ours, his light shine in our hearts. He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We can never, this is good news, this is good news what I'm about to say, we can never be good enough to provide a righteousness of our own that could possibly be the grounds for our justification before God. That's really good news. That's really good news. That's why he just gives it to us. Because the thing is, religion can't save us, no matter how zealous we are. I'll give you one last story, because just in case some of you are going, well, yeah, maybe he's not an idiot. A few years ago, uh, <laughs> we went to Disneyland, took the family, and we checked into the hotel, put the bags down, and I was very zealous to use the restroom, and so they said it's around the corner, went around the corner, there's just the one door, so I ran in really fast, a big restroom, and I was surprised that there were no urinals. Okay. So, <clears throat> what do you do? Uh, I went to the end of the stalls to the around the corner to see maybe they're around the corner. Nope. And so I thought to myself, and I really did, I thought, who designed this place? <laughs> People from Bellingham? What's going on? Anyway, as I entered the stall at the far end of the room, the furthest away from the door, and started to shut the stall door and lock it, Another little thought struck. 
<laughs> Any guesses what it was? <laughs> oh my goodness, I ran out of it. And then, I, I, thank you, Lord, uh, that no one was in there and that no one was standing outside the ladies' restroom door when I ran out doing up my pants. And I remember just, I went and hid behind a plant and said, thank you, God, thank you, God, thank you, God. Okay, have I proven my case? But before that thought hit, again, who designed this place? It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's what we do. We do this constantly. We do this all the time. We are all heading wrong ways in ways we're unaware of. And our only hope is God's word and we don't read it enough. We don't put it in us because we don't think we need it enough. So it is a kindness when the rock becomes a roadblock in our life and just brings us to a stop. Just, whoa, what happened? Is it kind of imperative? Whatever that moment is that just interrupts everything we're doing in life, kind of imperative in that in that moment, to seize the moment, slam on the brakes, examine ourselves in the light of God's word and make any necessary course corrections. Because this is my prayer. Uh, Paul writes this, but it's my prayer too. This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Because we're talking about practice. So let's pray. Father God, Oh, we love you, worship you, uh, as we deepen our appreciation for all that you do. Holy Spirit, strengthen our intimacy so that our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It only comes through your word. Lord Jesus, you are our rock, our salvation. We just thank you for showing us true righteousness and guiding us to grow in holiness. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.